Hi everyone and welcome. This is the Be Well, Be Safe, Be Happy, Eat Ice Cream podcast and I'm your host, Coach Brad. This podcast is about all things related to love, life, health, and the pursuit of happiness. Every week, I'll interview a different guest who is setting a new standard and redefining what it means to get the most out of life. With that, let's get started. Okay, welcome once again, everybody. This is the Be Well, Be Safe, Be Happy, Eat Ice Cream podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Coach Brad. So today I've got another awesome guest with me. I'm so blessed and fortunate to to meet some absolutely incredible people from all walks of life. And like I said before, all over the country. Today I'm gonna be speaking with Margaret Steffi who happens to be in New York. And she is a certified primal health coach and also a certified personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And today we're gonna be talking about a, a topic that I think is critical to all of us, something that people are always inquiring about, always wondering about, and that is this idea of motivation and habits and forming new habits and you know what what all goes into that. You know, we have a habit of brushing our teeth, for example. That's that's one small example. So anyway, Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I've I've read a little bit about your background and and I know, well, actually let me let me jump around a little bit here. I know you originally started off in pharmacology, excuse me, pharmacy as a pharmacy, pharma, pharmaceutical type major in college, but switched over to kinesiology. What what led to that switch? So pharmacy is a six-year degree path. In most cases, you can obviously go into pharmacy school and other in your own way and honestly anyway, but if you wanna do it straight out of high school, it's usually a two, four program. So it was two years of undergrad to four years of graduate school. And at least at the school I would decided to go to, I also didn't would not have come out with a bachelor's at the end of it. Oh, okay. It would have just been a doctorate, which I realized later could have been some pro- a little bit problematic. But for me, my first year of college was honestly very freeing because I had dealt with a ton of health issues my entire life, things like skin issues, uh, serious GI problems, the inability to lose weight as hard as I tried at different points in time, that when I got to college, while most people say how dorm living and eating in a dining hall is really unhealthy, it actually was freeing for me in the sense that I could pick what I wanted to eat every day and just... That was freeing in the sense that I could kind of almost do my own elimination diet or choose not to eat things because I wasn't feeling pressured to eat anything um, just because my parents made it, which was kind of how it was when I was raised. Because obviously, if your parent makes dinner for the whole family, you're kind of expected to eat what they make. At least in my family, that's how it was. And I respect that. But it was obviously um, causing some GI distress. So for me, my first year of college, I got to explore that a little bit more, as well as when a doctor that year basically told me they didn't know what was wrong with my um, gastrointestinal system and that whatever I was doing was working better than anything they could do. I really started to dig into research on nutrition more and more because I realized that that was, at least for me, the missing link. I could, at that point, I was exercising regularly um, and had been through high school, um, was sleeping well, things like that were all in place. So it really was the nutrition key. 
And at that point I found things such as paleo and primal. And that kind of lit a fire under me my freshman year of college because while most kids were eating junk food all the time, I was like, why would someone do this when my health has done a complete flip? And so as I was continuing in pharmacy school, it was very much a self grapple with looking at pharmacy and obviously it being a place where you could truly help people, but also how most people did not want the help you wanted to offer. Uh, when I was in the pharmacy setting, most people did not want to get help um, learning more about their medications. They just wanted to pick them up, go home, take them. They also didn't want to have education. That's, yeah, that's definitely a big part of our society. So let me, let me roll with this for a moment. So you were having some health issues, you mentioned some GI issues. And so you started to dive into your own research about nutrition. What, what did you discover and, and what did you learn? I really learned for me that a paleo approach, or at least that is my first stepping stone, was something that completely changed my health. Um, I grew up in a household where we ate a lot of pasta, a fair amount of processed foods. And while my family considered it healthy and most, it would be probably pretty healthy compared to most people, my body doesn't do well on grains. Um, it doesn't do well with gluten. It doesn't do well with dairy in certain circumstances. So it was just a huge learning curve in that way because I never thought prior to that, that nutrition could impact your health. I was raised by parents who believed in pharmaceutical medications and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but also my father worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so for us, it was very much learning that um, there's a pill for every ill in the sense of, oh, if something's bothering you, let's find a medication, let's find a diagnosis and let's treat it. And while I think that is the conventional uh, model that we use, um, it's, it wasn't working for me. And I now see that I didn't wanna be on medication lifelong. Uh, and so when I realized that you could look at the root problem and that was really the cause of the illness, oh, I thought that was revolutionary. <laughs> So, I mean, you're, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head. A lot of people don't realize the role that I say healthy eating or nutrition. Uh, some people use those terms interchangeably, but the role that nutrition plays in our overall health and, and well-being. So once you started to switch to a more, I guess I'll say healthy eating slash nutrition, you mentioned paleo primal uh, type eating did, I mean, what happened to your health? Did a lot of these issues, you know, with GI intestinal issues and whatnot, did they go away or? Did you start to feel better? What, what happened? Yeah, I definitely had more energy that I didn't realize I didn't even like I didn't have prior. Uh, I lost a lot of weight, some probably too much because I kind of became very, very strict with how I ate because I in for from going from struggling to lose weight for so many years to being able to lose it pretty easily. I was like, oh, this is kind of nice, but probably took it a little too far. But all the bloating. Um, the gas, because I used to have nonstop gas um, and extremely bloated stomach as a result and things like constipation, those kind of resolve themselves. I will say that there's certain things that aren't always perfect, but I'm always in the process of learning more and treating myself um, or improving upon it because some of it that I didn't realize till this past, the past year is I did have some pathogens as well and I'm still working on getting rid of those. But the diet as a whole changed a lot uh, the big well, issue. 
I'm sorry, let me ask you this, Margaret. So as a health coach and, and you see what's going on in the world, and I struggle with this sometimes coaching some of my clients, but in terms of like getting healthy or even like you said, trying to lose weight, what, what's, what matters most? Is it the exercise that matters most? I think a lot of people really try to put most of their energy and emphasis on the exercise, or is it the nutrition and healthy eating that matters more? Or, or is there a difference? Or which one do you think matters? So I've done a lot of thinking on this and actually really enjoy. There's a video that Dr. Gabrielle Lyon and her mentor have out there because they almost created like a, is it the chicken or the egg kind of debate on diet um, or nutrition versus exercise. Uh And because they both believe in different things. And what I really took from that and what I really like with their explanation is that while exercise can often get you faster results, the second you stop exercising, they're going to go away, possibly. Um, where nutrition, it might take longer to see those results, but it's going to last longer. And for someone who say cannot exercise or at least cannot exercise at their, the start of their health journey, nutrition is more accessible. I, I definitely would agree with that. I start to tell my clients nowadays that, you know, 80, 90% of this journey, so to speak, is, you know, somewhat psychology, but then the other eight, 9% I say is nutrition and one or 2% is, is the actual exercise that you do. But I think, yeah, healthy, healthy eating nutrition plays a huge role in this. Well, let me ask you this, did during your transition from kind of grain-based foods and processed type foods uh, to a more paleo or primal eating plan did you do intermittent fasting or anything like that or do you eat three meals a day or what, what's your eating program like uh, when I first transitioned I was throwing in intermittent fasting as well um, I don't really currently do that due to certain goals that I have now for me I have a lot of goals with gaining some muscle mass or keeping on my lean muscle mass okay. and for me to get the amount of protein that my body needs to process it, I can't really intermittent fast because I won't be able to really use the amino acid pro- amino acids properly. I'd either have to eat way too many that my body can't use that many at one point in time. So then I'm going to end up wasting them and really not getting, say, say I need 160 grams a day. If I'm eating, say two meals and I'm intermittent fasting, you can't really, your body can't process 80 grams of protein at a time at least and use it because it doesn't have a way of storing it. So I've had to transition to eating a little bit, uh, still fasting in a sense, because I try to do maybe a 12-12 fast. Okay. Um, Because otherwise for me, it's more the sense that if I stay up late and I'm eating food, I often tend to go snacking and, or can have that tendency and it doesn't benefit me in any way. Um, So I tend to do more of a 12-12 style fast, but eat, not grazing, but more frequently in the sense of like eat and then give it three, four hours and then eat again, because then it's breaking it up into chunks where my body can actually use more of the protein that I'm consuming. And so for anyone listening to this, this is kind of key. We, we hear a lot in our culture and our society about what to eat, which is, which is somewhat obvious, I would like to say, but, but not always in terms of, you know, eat healthy, natural foods. Uh, but the how part is, is very critical, how you eat. So as Margaret is mentioning here, she does a 12-12 fast. And then during the day, I think you just said, Margaret, you do some grazing. And then about every three to four hours, you'll eat something. Is that, is that what you said? Yeah, roughly. And it's going to vary day to day. 
because for me, I don't always have a schedule that allows me to say eat every three to four hours, but I'll maybe wake up in the morning and I sometimes work out fast and sometimes don't, but um, tend to eat work out semi-fasted at least. I'm not usually eating a full meal before I work out, but then after my workout, I usually have a full meal. Um, it's usually very protein forward. That's how most of my meals are. Because for me, when I'm eating a the right amount of protein, my carbs are a little on the lower side, I feel a lot better. Um, and that's what works for me. Um, so so do, you, do you eat carbs like uh, rice or sweet potatoes, jams, anything like that? Or just from vegetables? Occasionally. Um, I don't completely cut them out. Um, but I'm not, say, eating rice every day. Maybe okay. once a week. Do I, I have rice? It's just one of those things that from, it's not my favorite food. So that's kind of how I make a choice on what I'm going to eat when it comes to carbohydrates. I truly, protein is my, one of my, I will say, I know it's a food group, but it's one of my favorite foods. I think it's because I get the most um, satiety out of it. So I tend to pr prioritize my protein. I do a lot of eggs. I do a lot of pork, a little bit of beef and probably poultry is the least because it's just my least favorite. Um, okay. And that, just how I am. I, I, I don't know. I'm very finicky with chicken. Um, so I tend to then build my say carbohydrates and things around that. And it's just, sometimes it's who's going to be with me or what are we eating or what do they want to eat? Cause sometimes I'll say make tacos and they want rice with it. So then maybe I'll have a little bit of rice. Um, but a lot of times for me, I also, I tend to prefer vegetables over say the grains or the rice or occasionally I'll do some corn chips or things like that. But usually it's broccoli, a little bit of fruit. So like berries, occasionally apples, especially because we can get them locally for a huge chunk of the year. Um, and occasionally some sweet potatoes and squash, but I also try to eat what's in season. So I will, I do more sweet potato squash and that kind of stuff now and other stuff when it's in season come spring and summer. Yeah, that's a huge, huge aspect of healthy eating or nutrition too, is eating what is in season. And it's mm -hmm. strange today with food production that you can literally eat everything you want year round, tomatoes year round, potatoes year round, uh, peppers year round, all of that. Kind mm -hmm. of. Ideally, I think our biological metabolic system was designed to eat just what was in season at that time. And even based on a particular geographical area. Uh, and our modern food production has kind of overridden that. Uh, another curious question I have for you. So uh, a typical plate, like what is it? 80% protein, 10% healthy fats, like avocados or 10% carbohydrate. What would you say is like a, just a rough estimate of your breakdown of macros there for carbohydrates and proteins and fats? I honestly have no clue. I'm gonna look at that. I don't, cause I don't constantly track my nutrition. I often think in my head, and prioritize my meal planning over the week on what main proteins am I going to make? And then everything else kind of, I just let fall in around it. Um, but I'm actually going to look at, I have a nutrition app that I have been using a little bit lately to try to help me consume more protein. Cause I haven't lately I've been busy and I'm not always the greatest at making sure I have it. Um, but like my first meal of the day today, which is a little atypical, but it was um, about 30 grams of protein um, about 15 grams of carbs and eight grams of fat. And this again was atypical. Usually it would have more fat to it, but I ultimately ended up grabbing an apple, um, 
half a scoop of protein powder in my coffee, um, which was whey protein, and then a whey protein powder bar. Oh, okay. Whey protein. Yeah, I've heard that's one of the best ones. Uh, let me ask you something. I'm, I'm curious what your opinion on all this is, Margaret. And again, for anyone listening, uh, Margaret is a certified health coach and a certified personal trainer. Uh, she's not a registered dietitian. However, she does have extensive knowledge with regards to nutrition and healthy eating. So Margaret, I'm curious, what's your take plant protein versus animal protein? What, what's your whole take on that? I've, I've gone back and forth and I've gone exclusively vegan for a while, vegetarian for a while, and now I'm back to more uh, animal protein a little bit. What, what's your whole take on the plant protein versus animal protein? For the majority of the population, I'm always going to promote animal protein over plant protein. There are so many fine details, in my opinion, to it that make it hard to give a definite answer. There are things such as if someone's going to grab, say, a plant protein powder versus a whey protein powder, mm -hmm. it's going to depend on the source. Like I don't usually recommend for the majority of the population a soy-based protein powder because there can be some um, hormonal effects that can be impacted on that. Um, but also whey protein isn't always great either in the sense that there's different processing methods and some are going to be cleaner than others. And most companies are not transparent on how they process their way. Um, but when it comes to actual whole food sources, I often, I usually choose animal in the sense that fewer people are going to have reactions to it. There's going to be less thinking in the sense of when you eat just plant protein and no animal protein, you really have to be mindful of balancing your proteins in the sense that most are plant proteins are incomplete. So you have to think a lot more about getting um, pairing or pairing throughout your day so that you're getting enough of all your amino acids that your body can't make where animal proteins have all of those. And I also look at, there's a lot of research and actually a, a fellow primal health coach wrote a book that highlights on this a lot about how, while we say are eating 160 grams of protein a day or however many your body requires, how much our body is actually able to use is going to vary um, person to person, but also it's going to vary on the source itself. So um, our bodies can often use more of the animal protein than they can of the plant protein and actually absorb it. So it's the bioavailability within each of them is gonna vary. And so animal proteins are more bioavailable. Um, and simply they're also more protein and nutritionally dense. So I feel that if say the individual is trying to lose weight, you're actually gonna have better results because say a four ounce piece of chicken is gonna have say 20 grams of protein to it. Mm -hmm. where you'd have, and it's going to be about maybe 200 calories or so, mm -hmm. where you'd have to say, eat a lot more rice and beans that would say be maybe 600 calories to get that same amount of protein. And I, that none of that is exact data. I was just thinking on right. the fly, but so someone losing weight, but also trying to get 160, um, say grams of protein in a day off of just plant sources, you're probably going to have a higher caloric intake as a result and it's going to vary but there's a lot more that goes into the planning then 
Yeah, Margaret, I'm definitely going to have to have you back on the show. I think we could we could spend a whole podcast just on plant protein versus animal protein and and whatnot. I, I want to make one more key point that Margaret did say for anyone listening again about plant protein versus animal protein. Uh, she said it pretty quickly. If, if you're not understanding amino acids or anything like that, animal proteins typically contain all your amino acids and what is in the science world essential amino acids, whereas plant-based proteins are, and, and I'm not a, an exact scientist on this, but plant proteins lack those essential amino acids. I, I don't, Margaret, you might know exactly which those essential amino acids are, but I know eating a piece of chicken or something like that, and of course there's there's the whole environmental side to that, but, but typically we'll have all of your amino acids. Mm -hmm. Whereas plant protein, you're going to have to find something else as a supplement to get those additional essential amino acids, which does matter in terms of your how your cells function at a cellular level and your energy and, and all of that stuff. So, and and also Margaret, I I, I know I just mentioned I'm going to have you back, but uh, don't have time to get it into it today. But another time, would love to to dive into this whole hormone thing and healthy eating and how processed foods, how that affect, affects hormone balance, especially for women and whatnot. I know that's a huge, huge emerging issue is this idea of hormone balance for women. And, and a big part of that is caused by their eating. So uh, we're, we're gonna, we're definitely gonna have you back, uh, Margaret. But I wanna, I wanna move on now because I know you kind of switched from like we mentioned in the beginning pharmacy to this health, health career. So now you're a health coach and a personal trainer. So I want to get into motivation and habits and rituals and all this, because I know this is something that you've dealt with as well. So somebody is sitting at home on the couch, they're not motivated. How can someone take charge, take control of their life and, and get motivated? What, what would you say? What would your advice be there? I can say simply, it's not motivation that's going to get you off the couch. Because if it was that, I would likely not work out every day. Or I don't work out every day of the week, but I would likely rarely get into a workout as frequently as I do. Um, especially at this time of year. So being in New York, I'm not in New York City. I'm in rural New York. But it is chilly here. And <laughs> not that I'm going to work out outside every day. Sometimes I do work out inside. Sometimes I am outside. But I prefer to work out first thing in to start my day off strong, but with it being cold, especially cold in the morning and just getting up and having in a way that cold shock. If that was my motivating factor to work out, I would not be getting up because I'm often freezing and the painful start of a workout when you're cold, even if it's in my house, my house doesn't, I don't keep it very warm. Um, is It's not a motivating factor, that's for sure. Um, well, what is it then? What, what, what does it take for someone to go off the couch then? It's very much habit and desire, uh, really looking at that why that you have for why you wanna be working out or what's the purpose to it. So, and for me, even some of it can come down to motivation, but simply looking at like, why do you wanna be doing it? What's, what's the reason? Do you wanna be losing weight? Do you wanna be strong for your kids? Do you, Maybe you're like me and I sign up for running races, especially now that hopefully COVID's kind of lessening its impact and I'll be able to run running races more frequently, but that's a huge motivating factor for me because I do love to run. Don't get me wrong. I don't love always to start every run or to do every training run because some are very painful because you don't always have perfect days. Um, but it's, if I, 
if I didn't run or if I didn't train for my runs or if I didn't do other types of training for my intended goals, I wouldn't be able to reach them. I'd get to the start line of a race and being me and being a little bullheaded, I would finish the race, but it wouldn't be pretty. I'd probably come out pretty injured. So I know that if I am not training, the results, it's going to be poor. Um, and I've had that happen. Um, I had a race a few years ago where I didn't do a great training job. It was cold. It was a rainy season. I really would have benefited from just biting the bullet there and going out and running outside more often instead of just shirking off on my indoor runs, which is what I was doing. And I went into a marathon. Not only was it cold that day and it rained and a lot of people were getting hypothermia, but I wasn't in the best of shape and it just was not pretty. And it was a, probably a bad marathon to choose for that time of year. Cause it's just, it was a hilly race, but it taught me the valuable lesson of if I want better results, I actually have to work for them. And it's not motivation that gets me there. It is the desire to do better um, for me and strategically planning my training and getting to the gym in such ways that I am not going to push it off. So one method I use is for me, I am less likely to work out at home than I am to work out at the gym. Even though I have a full, almost full gym around me, I don't have like a lifting rack, but I have a cable system. I have a treadmill, I have a spin bike and a few other things and a lot of um, like hand weight equipment at home, but I'm less likely to work or consistently do it if I just had my home equipment or less likely to work hard where if I'm at the gym, even though I know truly no one else is watching me um, or caring about what I'm doing because they're busy in their own land, getting to the gym and that act of doing that is gonna get me to perform so much better and to be consistent and get it done. Um, so I plan when that's going to happen, whether it's usually I prefer first thing in the morning, but some days that doesn't always happen either based on my schedule. So sometimes it's after work, but it's making that time, scheduling it in and making sure it happens. And also another thing I like for not as much for working out, but for other habit creation is habit stacking. So adding the habit you want to create to a habit you already have. So whether it's, I don't know, for someone, one example could be like, you already have that habit of brushing your teeth, like Brad said. Right. So then when, I don't know, maybe you want to improve your squat depth or something. So then you're doing just body weight squats while you brush your teeth or something like that. That would be one random example, but adding those habits together so that you're not thinking about them as much. You're hitting on a key there, this idea of habits. And I know there's a lot of talk out there about habits and I've read, you know, oh, 21 days to form a new habit or, you know, I think our primal health coach curriculum says 40 days or something like that. I have my own thoughts on that, but what, 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 what does it take to form a new habit? And, and I mean, why do so many people, you know, they start a new habit, but then, you know, after, you know, a week or two weeks or a month, you know, they, they've given up on it already. What's, what's your thoughts on all that? Um, really, it depends. I feel like usually my big argument is motivation is worthless. Um, especially because I constantly see people that will say things like, I need the motivation to work out or why, help me get this motivation, at least in Facebook groups that maybe I follow for ideas on what content to create or do market research or just because they're in my target audience. And 
everyone I will say hates when I say it, but I'm like, motivation isn't the key because motivation would get you there a few days where ha creating those habits is going to get you there lifelong. And so, yeah, I think it, because there are things that say like 21 days or 40 days or 60 days or 90 days create a habit. I think right. it depends on the person and what that habit is. Um, and I think it just depends on your values where I think I was very ingrained from a young age that just working out is a thing you do every day. Um, I wasn't taught necessarily how to do it properly or what was going to be the best for me, but I was taught that it was a thing you do. And so I, as a result, kind of created that habit. But I also had a family who I grew up having a treadmill. I grew up having other items for fitness in my house that it made it a little more accessible for me. Not that I couldn't have gone out and gone for a run outside, but it was just one of those conveniences that I had family members who also kind of modeled it for me. So if someone is sitting on the couch, Margaret, and they're scared or they're afraid or they say, oh, I've tried this before, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, what would you say to that person? I think that often when it doesn't work, it's you didn't get the right guidance the first time. Don't get me wrong. Some people can go to the gym, say pay for a membership and get off the couch and just go try different things. And that works well for them for a while. Mm -hmm. But I often see there's a benefit to maybe paying for a personal trainer or paying for someone to help a health coach to help guide you at the beginning because they can help instill some more confidence in you or help guide you along the right path. Because I often also will be seeing people at the gym and I I'm not judging them in any sense, but I struggle to sometimes watch people who I don't think have a ton of experience in working out. And I, I congratulate them for going, but I sometimes worry about them at the same time because I say, see them using a machine and I see them using it incorrectly. And while they're maybe not using enough weight to actually cause any damage, I worry about that in the future for them. And I don't always feel maybe comfortable going over because I don't want to upset someone, but it can be sometimes difficult to say, watch them do something really, really incorrectly when it could be done better and you could get better results, if that makes sense too. So I find if you find someone to help you get started, even if it's a friend, a friend, a personal trainer, a health coach, having them help you get on the right path for the first month or so, get you comfortable, help you build your confidence, find those things you like is so valuable. That, that accountability partner for sure. Uh, let me mention real quick for anyone that, that is listening, if you're interested in, in reaching out to Margaret, uh, she has an email, margaret at greatandgains.com. I'll put a link to that in my podcast description. She also has her own TV internet platform type channel. She runs a, a health coaching class and fitness class on a platform called recess.tv. And I've got that link as well. I'll, I'll put in my podcast description. Again, if anyone wants to reach out to Margaret, she is a coach, she'd be happy to talk with you. She has got a ton of knowledge, a ton of knowledge. You know, Margaret, this it's crazy. You know, we are in this day and age where we have more access to information about healthy eating, nutrition, if it's forming a habit or getting motivated or all types of fitness programs, but we seem to be regressing, not just as a country, but as a planet. What I mean by that is we seem to be getting less healthy, even though we're, there's mm -hmm. more information out there. What the heck's, what's going on here? What the heck's, what's going on? What, what, it just boggles my mind sometimes. 
Yeah, it's something that can definitely boggle my mind a lot. But honestly, I, I feel like the more information that ha- we have, honestly, the worst we're doing. And yeah, it's, I, I look at it as I, I've been really contemplating this a lot just because I see so much on, I, I will poke out COVID. People are always poking out, oh, we should stay inside. We should wear masks. We should get vaccinated. And while none of those are necessarily maybe bad things, the mainstream media is not pointing out things like, oh, if we were more metabolically healthy, we'd yeah. have fewer cases or fewer deaths or less severe cases. So I've often been lately thinking about in the sense of evolution, what are we doing differently in 2022 versus what were we doing in maybe 1900? And I think a lot of it is actually the abundance of knowledge we have is almost detrimental because at that time, maybe they were eating pasta, maybe they were eating breads, but there were fewer, it was less processed at that time. You were likely going to a bakery and getting your loaf of bread, or maybe you were buying it at the store, but it was still probably had less fillers. It probably had less preservatives. You were likely moving more because you didn't have a car. You were probably walking more places, or maybe you had a farm or lived more. It was less urbanized at the time. So you were on the move more. So I I look at there's those pieces and also they just ate what they had in the sense of, okay, you lived on a farm, you had livestock that you raised or you traded with another farmer because maybe you grew vegetables, I don't know. And everyone, there were few vegetarians, not that I'm downplaying being vegetarian or vegan, but I feel like there's so many say meat substitutes today that aren't really good for you. And where maybe a vegetarian of that day would be eating predominantly more just vegetables and healthier items where there's so much processed today. And there's so much of that macro counting that I don't always think is beneficial. I know it's caused me issues in the past because I've gotten like turned it into almost a game of how few calories can I have while also maximizing my protein and this and that. Um, Where I look at if we really paid attention to what we were eating, the specific foods, what was in them, you would have less of the issues. And I don't know, it's just, it it grates on me because the reason I left pharmacy school is I couldn't take the idea of people just coming in from their medications, not wanting education, not being able to tell them maybe if you started exercising or providing them guidance on maybe exercising or eating better that they wouldn't need their medication. I wasn't allowed to say that. Um, But also at the same time, watching at one of the pharmacies I worked at, they'd buy inhalers with their cigarettes or they'd buy candy bars and soda with their insulin. And I just looked at, well, yeah, you have the free right, the free choice to do that. I look at that pattern and those um, behaviors as a lot, some of the problems that we face with this core health, because the medication is just a bandaid. It's not going to get rid of the problem underneath. Um, and I think that people think that the medication is the cure, but the second you would take that medication away, the problem if it's yeah. not consistent with yeah. medication, symptoms just diminish. Yeah. I was just going to say, we've kind of been trained to, uh, like society has trained us to just, you know, pill and prescribe or prescribe and pill, something like that. I don't know the exact, but the standard care, you know, go to the mm-hmm. and get a pill. There's that, uh, I don't know, you've probably seen it, that funny meme on Facebook where there's two lines, one that says, you know, get a pill, which has got like a hundred people on it. And then the window next to it says change of lifestyle. There's not a single person in it. 
Uh, have you seen that meme? I have not, but I have a feeling. I, I, I know I've seen similar ones. But I also, I don't fault doctors for giving the pills and diagnosing because that's what they're trained to do. They're not yeah. trained to look at nutrition. They're not trained to find the root cause. They're trained to look at the symptoms, yeah. put a label on it, and put a medication to fix the symptoms. That is the scope of practice that they are trained in a conventional medical school. And so I don't fault them on it. Also, it doesn't help that insurance um, kind of requires that medical model as well if the doctor wants to get paid. Um, and there's some issues with that. So like doc, there's been some cases where say doctors who didn't want to prescribe because they wanted to do root cause medicine actually were, um, insurances were questioning their medical license and things like that because of how the system works. So I don't fault them, but I see there's so many better avenues for people to take today instead of maybe not, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor, but there's other avenues to pursue to go complimentary with your doctor that could result in better results. You're certainly right there. Doctors are certainly trained to look at symptoms, not lifestyle per se, but well, I, we're almost at 40 minutes already, Margaret. Uh, time flies, there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, I kind of want to start wrapping this up, uh, but let me ask you, so someone is sitting at home, they want to go couch to healthy, well, what's, what's their first step? How do they get started? Or how do we as a planet or a country, how do we, how can we make that move from couch to healthy? I say the biggest step is find a way to be accountable, whether it's you having a planner and you actually putting stuff in the planner to create your plans or having a friend who's going to make sure you get up off that couch and go to the gym with them, even if it's just to take a walk um, and you're not doing anything crazy or hire someone who actually knows what they're talking about and isn't pushing, say, a fad. I know that we've mentioned things like paleo, primal, vegetarian on here, and I think there's value to all of them, but I also think there can be harm when, say, a personal trainer or a health coach is just pushing one model to their clients. Um, I think that there are benefits to all of them, and it's going to depend person to person. Um, so I always feel that there should be caution when someone says they're a plant-based only coach or whatever that may be. Because yeah. while some have the ability to maybe teach it really well or make sure that you're actually getting all the nutrients you need, I don't think pushing the dogma of say, just go and plant-based is better should be the end all be all for most. Well, certainly there's a lot to, to look at there. I wanna, I wanna chime in one thing real quick too. We, we've covered so much today. Uh, for anyone listening to this, one of the first things I always say going to Couch to Healthy is you're going to have to overcome your fears and mm -hmm. really, really take a deep look at what is holding you back. And that's where working with a coach like Margaret is so critical. She can help you identify what some of those fears are. We call them in, in the health coaching world, limiting beliefs and things like that. And that's really key. You know, what are you afraid of? You know, what do you think is holding you back, you know, from completing this journey? Uh, and whatnot. So certainly reach out. I mean, you can reach out to Margaret. You can reach out to me. I've got my site too, uh, trainingwithcoachbrad.com. Uh, my podcast here, obviously, you can, you can look for this on Google or Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts as well. Margaret, this has been absolutely awesome. I am so stoked to have you. And there's a ton more we could talk about. And I definitely, definitely want to have you back on, on the show. Uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything else that you want to add or that you haven't already said? And anything else for the good of the benefit of anyone listening? 
I think honestly, reach out to experts. They want to help you. So if you have questions, reach out. And if you question their information, ask them where they found it. Um, Because I think there's a lot of obviously buzzwords and fads that go around, but most true experts would be able to point you to either research or textbooks or something that is um, accurate. So always, you can always, if you're questioning their ability or if you don't know a lot about them, you can ask them either where they learned the information or things like that and be able to also for yourself, learn more and better gain that information. I think that's great advice. Yeah, certainly that's why folks like yourself and myself, we've done the research, we've gone to the courses and taken the different classes and we have answers. So first step, yeah, pick up the phone, give Margaret a call or send her an email or give me a call, send me an email. We'd be happy to talk with you more. Margaret, I'd love to, to keep going, but we're almost at 45 minutes now. And I try to keep this around 40 to 45 minutes. So I definitely appreciate you being here today and look forward to having you on the show again. And for anyone listening, this is Coach Brad saying, be well, be safe, be happy, eat ice cream. Thanks so much for being here. Take care and we'll see everyone next time. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye.